Are they trying to be over-the-top jerks about it to make a point? Like, why in the world would you want to force a young lady who is raped to then carry a child right. of the rapist and then and then also have to share custody with said rapist? Are they being jerks on purpose just to be like, ah, we're, we're going to be the, sh- the shining light of this argument? This is Progressive South. I'm Will Lockamy. I'm Heather Milam. All right, Heather, we're going to talk about it. We got requests, we saw the tweets, we saw the emails, we saw the direct messages, people sliding into the DMs, <laughs> wanting us to talk about abortion. So we're going to do it. A big reason is because um, I saw someone who did this and did it very courageously and was the first person that I saw really like put their name out there and their picture, and she'll actually be here with us today, Jenna King Shepherd. Ooh, and check this out. State Representative Neil Rafferty will be stopping by. We'll find out why he's still a state representative. Seems like he would have quit by now. <laughs> he's my representative. I'm excited to see him. I haven't seen him since the um, since the election. All right, so bring us up to speed, Heather. Why are we talking about this now? House Bill 314 that was introduced by Representative uh, Terry Collins. It is called the Human Life Protection Act here in the state of Alabama. And essentially what this proposes to do is to put a total ban on abortions. And that's what sets this legislation apart from others, other very restrictive legislation that you see passed in many other states, including Georgia next door, that the House and Senate passed and sent up to the governor. So we have to really speak truth to power. And what we're talking about here is an attack on women, an attack on our reproductive rights and our access to health care that is necessary it's also worth looking back at the origination of the whole abortion narrative in our political conversation. Yeah, I try not to like listen to other things to get my talking points for this show because I don't want to be influenced or I don't want to then accidentally like take somebody else's words. But I tell you, I did a lot of research because I had a lot of yard work to do. And it's the <laughs> best way to do it is to listen to, and I, I don't mean um, opinion podcast at all. I really didn't. Yeah. I didn't listen to any of that. I listened to straight news podcast that just told the story about the origination of, you know, this divide in our country and kind of where it came from. And it's pretty eye opening. It is. And most people, especially today, unless you're a part of the scripting of the abortion narrative in our political vernacular, vernacular, you were not probably aware of how it originated. I mean, Roe v. Wade passed in 72 with a conservative court, by the way. Seven to two, right? Yes. Seven Supreme Court justices affirming it's hard to imagine much of anything passing seven to two at this point, one way or the <laughs> other. And uh, and most conservative outlets were very much for um, women reproductive rights, and they were supporting it. Southern Baptist Association had leadership that said, we support this and think that this was the right ruling. This is not our uh, say. This is not our, our, our playground to be in. So Godspeed. This is great. It was looked at as like, a, hey, this is a medical issue, and this should be something that is between a woman and her doctor. And this should not be controlled by government and by churches. This should be between a medical professional and the woman. And very much in line with that libertarian ideal that you see, especially what tea partiers are championing, this, you know, government out of our, our, our lives kind of mentality. This was, this was a great case for them. Um, but here's the caveat. There was a, there was a up and coming, very loud, very powerful political evangelical right wing group 
that was forming and pushing for policies. Yeah, you're talking about the Heritage Foundation. Yeah, with the founder, Paul Weybridge. Their focus at the time uh, was on a different Supreme Court ruling that basically said these private, we're kind of jumping around here, but it's important to know, there were private schools that were segregating white children from the integrated school systems, right? So what was happening after segregation of schools ended, white Americans started to isolate their children more, and the solution became these private institutions that were also tax-exempt. Yeah, and the government started looking at that and saying, like, whoa, whoa, hang on, if you're going to be segregated, you can't have this tax exemption. Right. This was what they were promoting as ways to keep segregation a part of our society, Right. And to not pay taxes. And to not pay taxes. As we travel through the 70s and get close to 79 and Carter's reelection, they want him out of the office. And segregation is not a palatable term for American citizens. And so one of these wahoos in this evangelical movement, a white man. Because I don't think you should call him a wahoo. I, I, I think he's a jack. <laughs> Okay. Okay, sorry. I think that's a better word. Okay, go ahead. Um, Just said sort of flippantly, well, what about abortion? And that truly is kind of how this right-wing movement grabbed abortion as sort of their, their conservative evangelical flag, right, political flag. Join us in saving the unborn. So they started scripting this narrative about you know, owning the conversation, this pro-life, this, that was their political, that was their political power engine once they were able to get Ronald Reagan elected. And then Reagan was really who began to talk about abortion on the national federal stage. And this, uh, in fact, we don't really see abortion as a part of the presidential debates until 1984. But what's interesting is that Ronald Reagan, as the governor of California, signed into law one of the most liberal pieces of legislation governing abortion, or lack thereof, right? So you had this man who was pro-women's reproductive rights and signed into law a very liberal piece of legislation for women. Yes, he did what politicians do, which is he saw this as a very hot topic while running for president and thought, ooh, ooh, wait, I'll jump on that. Yeah, there, there's a wedge issue. Let me grab it. And you can pretty much just see it through his speeches over the years. Yeah. And yeah, hmm. Look, the Southern Baptist Association did not take it up as an issue until you can look at their bylaws of the Southern Baptist Convention and see in 79 and 80 how they shift. They do a 180 in their words saying that, oh, we're, you know, uh, this is not our thing. This is not our thing. Oh, wait, no, we, we are now, we are going to interpret the Bible differently at this point. And it's very clear and it's in writing. Also, George H.W. Bush, Richard Nixon, Gerald Ford, Barry Goldwater, these people were all for abortion rights because it's rational and it made sense for women to to have access to health care and to talk with their doctors because prior to that, women were dying. And we will flippantly at times say back alley abortions. That happened. Um, it will happen again, by the way. It will. If Roe if Ro v. Wade is overturned, it will happen again. I actually do ha- have hope <laughs> that the Supreme Court won't overturn Roe v. Wade. And my hope rests in something that is 
so tragic. But my hope actually rests in knowing that Republicans cannot give up this fight. They cannot allow the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade because the majority of Americans, vast majority of Americans, want access to safe, legal abortions. And if they terminate this legislation and they say, oh, well, nope, no abortions are allowed, then they've lost this wedge issue that they use to fundraise on, to whip a base on. And so they can't afford to lose that politically. And so my hope, as twisted as it is, is resting in the fact that the Republicans are won't risk losing that political wedge. And so they won't allow Roe v. Wade to be overturned. You're a smart cookie, Heather. I've never thought of that. Really? I think that's a great point. <laughs> Seriously, I've, never, I've not thought of that. Yeah. Hmm. Well. They need the fight. They actually need that fight. That's why we have the fight. Because, look, the legislation that was passed here in Alabama, or that was passed to the House in Alabama, now it's going to the Senate for a vote, is unconstitutional. It sure is. (laughs) And so we're going to begin fighting lawsuits using your taxpayer dollars, all for politics. Yay. Yeah, going to cost a lot of money. In fact, uh, in 2016, the state which is uh, us, by the way. It's not like the, the people <laughs> in charge and government are us, paying. Yeah, taxpayers. Us, the taxpayers. We had to pay the ACLU and Planned Parenthood $1.7 million after an unconstitutional law was passed yeah. that required abortion providers to have hospital admitting privileges. It was struck down because, of course, it's unconstitutional. So this one could be even more expensive. Oh, it will inevitably be more expensive. All right, Jenna King Shepard, um, read all about you in the news. It was very scandalous. Yeah, it was like the scandal of North Alabama specifically. So where are you from? I'm from Gunnersville. Uh, born and raised in Gunnersville? Born and raised. And you live there again now? I do, yeah. I moved off after college for a while with my husband, and um, now I'm back there with my family. Okay, so let's talk about your story. Uh, AL.com put, did a story on three women telling their stories about their abortions, and you were the only person that would actually... Give your name. Say who you were. How did you decide to start talking about this? When Amendment 2 came on the ballot in November, I was so enraged by it that I just said, I've got to do something about this. And people think I have this perfect life. And, you know, I've had struggles of my own. And this is such an important part of health care that women deserve in this state and that they need. So I just said, I've got to do something. I mean, when you say, like, people think you have this perfect life, you're in pageants, you had a successful college career, you married the football star, the NFL guy, like that kind of stuff. So people probably just assume, like, oh, Jenna, that girl has no struggles. Yeah, I was in pageants, and I married an NFL player, and I had a great house and a great car and a beautiful son and just this really great life that... People just thought, oh, she's got it all, and what a spoiled, lucky girl she is. So what were some of the things that you did to increase awareness of this amendment that was on the ballot in Alabama's midterms last year? Well, when I first learned about the amendment, I was so angry, and so I thought, I'm just going to have to start talking about it. So I started reading articles and seeing who was quoted in the articles, and I found Katie Glenn, who was the director of Planned Parenthood for Alabama at the time. And I contacted her on Facebook and I said, I had an abortion and I want to talk about it. And I contacted the ACLU 
And I started reaching out to women in my community and saying, oh, my gosh, can you believe this total assault on women that's happening? And something that I learned is that most of the people in my community that I talked to about it just said, yeah, abortion is terrible. And when I started talking to them about the real implications of this bill and how it leaves no room for any exceptions, even the people who claim to be pro-life felt that it went too far. And that, I think, was the problem, is a lot of voters weren't educated on just how far this bill goes. They just saw abortion. They saw um, prevent abortion in Alabama. And they said, yep, let's do it, without considering the long-term consequences and the real meaning of this amendment. Can you speak a little bit to the challenges that you had when you um, had the procedure? So growing up, um, I grew up in a really conservative family. And I have a sister who is 18 years older than me. And my brother is 15 years older than me. My sister came out and told the family that she's gay shortly after I was born. And my parents essentially cut her out of the family. My brother had bone cancer for my entire childhood. And when I was eight years old, he really started to go downhill. And when he hit that point of realizing that his last days were before him, he wanted to spend time with my sister and, you know, make amends with her. And that was really the first time that I got to spend quality time with my sister growing up. And what a tragedy that was. You know, today my sister is my best friend. And so I really saw from early on just what hate can do to a person and what it can do to a family and how it really destroys people and how important it is to allow people to be who they are and to make their own choices rather than jumping to condemnation and judgment. Um, So when I found myself pregnant in high school, I had that moment where you see the positive test result and you're either really happy or you freak out. And I was not really happy. I knew from that moment that I was not about to give birth. And I I chose to have an abortion. When I told my parents about it, um, my dad made very clear that he disagrees with it. And he disagrees with my sister's lifestyle and how disappointed he was in both of us for the choices that we were making. Yet he and my mom and my sister all drove me down to the abortion clinic both days for my procedure because there's the 48-hour waiting period. So it required two trips to Birmingham, one for counseling and one for the procedure. And what a traumatic experience because you don't know what to expect, Um, especially if you were raised not being educated about the fact that abortion is safe, legal, and normal. Is it true that one in four women have abortions? Did I read that? Yeah. Yes, yeah. I think before age 45 or something. And didn't you, one of the first things um, when you decided to share your story, you invited women in your community to get together and talk? How did that go? Yeah, I started talking to women at work And a lot of them had stories that were in some way related to reproductive justice. And I realized that a lot of women do care about these issues, but are afraid to talk about it. So I decided to host a No on Amendment 2 party. 
um, to educate them about what this bill does. Party. Right. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I thought. I'm like, we're going to have wine and cheese and talk about reproductive rights. Who doesn't want to do that? Sure, I yeah. am all down for that party. Sounds awesome. Right? We're my party pants. Yeah. So I had a really great response, and a lot of women wanted to come. But the day of the event, I started getting calls saying, hey, I'm not going to make it. My husband just really doesn't think that it's good for me to be there. People will see my car and think that I'm one of those pro-abortion people. Um, So everyone except for two people canceled on me. Wow. And then how did you end up being in the AL.com article? How did they find you? So right after I learned that Amendment 2 was on the ballot, I decided that I was going to quit my job and that I wanted to do this reproductive justice work full time. And I contacted Katie Glenn at Planned Parenthood to tell her I want to help and I want to tell my story. So in January, Abby Crane at AL.com was looking for someone to go on the record with their name and their picture, owning the fact that they had an abortion, and really start to put a face to abortion. And Planned Parenthood asked me if I would be willing to speak with her um, because she had been unable to find anyone willing to put their name on the article. So I said, of course. If we're going on this number of one in four women, which it's probably more than that, have had uh, an abortion before the age of 45, the the laws, this legislation that is being introduced and that passed the House here in the state of Alabama presumes that over 25% of women are murderers. That's what we're talking about. And that's insane. What what Do we really believe that women, by a quarter of women out there, mothers, daughters, cousins, that they are inherently killers. So we have to we have to take back that narrative. The women and people who support reproductive health care, we have to take back that narrative and champion our own bodies and, and and the medical professional field who understands the procedure itself. And you said you said it so perfectly. It's safe, it's legal, and it's available. And we so let's continue to talk about that and be open about it. And so I, I commend you, not that, you know, you need to go out there and talk about medical procedures that you've had, but just not buying into the propaganda that you were told when you were a young child that, you know, you would be a terrible human being if you were to get this procedure. Absolutely. And something I learned through telling my story is that a lot more people support abortion than are willing to speak about it. And a great example of that is, Before I told my story, I reached out to my boyfriend at the time, and I said, hey, I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be speaking about this. And at first he said, just make sure people don't know it's me. And then, you know, from that point, as I started speaking about it more, um, I think people kind of figured it out who knew us in a really small town. Um, And so as I started getting more opportunities to speak about it, I would constantly reach out to him and say I just wanted you to know that this is going to be out there and over time he started saying you know what I'm really proud of you I think it's really important what you're doing and that's something that I've seen kind of across the board with um, with women who are becoming more willing to speak about it is that when you first speak about it you're kind of scared because of the stigma that's associated with it and you think you know the backlash you're going to receive but you never really know And you don't know how it's going to feel 
personally when you're getting these personal attacks. But as you speak about it, people stand up in support of you and they call you brave. But you really shouldn't have to be brave to talk about this because it's normal and it's really common. So I just encourage more women to speak about it because you have a lot more supporters than you realize and you'll have a much bigger impact on people and on society than you realize. I was sitting at a table recently um, with five fellow girlfriends of mine um, of all different ages and different socioeconomic backgrounds. And uh, we were at this little cafe here in Birmingham. Um, Alabama, and um, we did a tally around the table who have th- who has had an abortion, and out of six of us, four had had an abortion, and others had taken Plan B, and all of us had been on some form of birth control. So this is what we're talking about when we talk about reproductive health care. It is a very this is this is about my body. This is about my my uterus, my fallopian tubes, my hormones. So we're this idea that we can legislate that is um, is really an insult. <laughs> it is. And the thing that we know is that contraception can and does fail. And I can speak to that personally because I was on the pill when I got pregnant. It does fail. So when I've been speaking to legislators, a lot of them have said, use birth control, simple solution. Well, no, it's not a simple solution. And it's not, it's not a guarantee. So what these legislators are really telling women is anytime you have sex, you better be prepared to give birth. And what a prison sentence on a woman. And that's assuming that women want to give birth at any point in their life because there are some women out there who never have any intention of being mothers and who never have any intention of giving birth. Well, maybe this would be a good option. What if just we all didn't have sex until we got married like our parents and grandparents did? Oh, right, like oh, my I'm parents sorry. and grandparents did. <laughs> I meant to say, like, I like our parents and grandparents told us. Sure. <laughs> no, I. Yeah, there, there are plenty of cousins in my family where when you go back and do the math, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> right. Well, you, the, the da- there is a serious danger, dangerous element to, you know, teaching abstinence because it's not realistic. And, you know, that's a big argument. People will say, like, oh, well, look, if you just don't have sex, you're the most natural thing that humans do. Right. Uh, right. Then we won't have to discuss this. Like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jenna, what was the response to the article once it came out on AL.com? Well, you had the normal people that you know you're going to get who are saying, keep your legs closed. You should have used birth control. You're a murderer, slut, and a monster. You know, oh, ni- nice people. Where was that feedback coming from? Were you seeing that online, on Twitter, on Facebook, in person? There were a lot of comments on the article, a lot of posts on Facebook and Twitter and even my Instagram account. Um, but those were the things that I totally expected. The things that I didn't expect were my life insurance agent to blind copy me accidentally on an email saying what a spoiled and deceived woman I am to people that I don't (laughs) even know. Really? (laughs) Right. I think I would get another agent. (laughs) Right. Well, I did. And what's so funny is that I just responded to everyone in the email thread and said, hey, I got your email. And if you'd want to talk about the article, you know, I'm really happy to do that. At which point he goes, 
oh, you know what? I was hacked. I really am sorry. (laughs) So I'm like, come on. We're both adults here. Like, I just told you that I had an abortion. Like, I told the world that I had an abortion, yeah. and you can't even tell me that you have a problem with it. Like, Look how at old you. are you? Yes, you Thank can't you even for being admit that adult. you don't know how email works. The old blind copy. I, well, how do you not understand that? How do people right. not understand that? I know. And how do you accidentally blind copy someone? That's the other thing. Oh, yeah. Um, so, what about your family? Because you you started this off by saying you grew up in a very conservative family how did that go well i blocked my dad on facebook when i told my story (laughs) (laughs) well i didn't want him to see it so i'm like maybe if i block him he won't see it posted to my wall jenna you knew it was going to be on al.com right right but he like watches fox news as his main source so were you on fox news and i mean this sincerely i would would not be surprised if this is something that would make it to the Fox News uh, yeah. airwaves. Right. Well, I did <laughs> Be not. prepared. Sadly enough. And you give it time. Right. Yeah. yeah. I know. The news cycle takes time. <laughs> right. So um, it took him three days to see it. Yeah. And when he did, he sent me a text message and he said, I can't believe what you did with five exclamation points. And he called me a loser and a joke and said, I make terrible decisions and, you know, just really nice things to say to your daughter. But I understand he was he was upset, and I didn't tell him. So I'm sure he was really surprised by it. And the interesting thing about abortion is that it's always okay until people know about it. Yeah. Did you take, was your proce- procedure, um, ha- what was your procedure? Because there's some that you can do with a simple pill if you're there, depending on um, where you are. In fact, one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that in your uterus, we don't even consider a fertilized egg and fetus until week nine. And most women don't find out that they are pregnant until week six-ish. That's about the earliest that you realize that you have a fertilized egg sitting in your uterus. So was the procedure complicated? Was it long? Was it, you know, how did that go for you? So I realized I was pregnant. I was shopping with my mom in Huntsville, and I felt really faint in the store. And so I I went home, and I thought, huh, (laughs) hope I'm not pregnant. (laughs) And so I actually got one of my mom's rings from her dresser and put it on my ring finger to go buy a pregnancy test because I didn't want the people who were checking me out to be like, oh, this girl is having sex when she's not married. Like, that is the level of oh, shame. I am so sorry. That I felt. That is so sad. So I took this ring, put it on my finger, go buy a pregnancy test, and I was like, oh, man, you know, this is not good. So I called my boyfriend, and uh, he didn't believe me. So he wanted me to go and get another pregnancy test, go to his house, and take it in front of him. At which point I was just enraged. Why so- would you have made that up? Your, what was he thinking your motive would be to make that up? You know, that's the thing, and that's what I never understood, and I think it just goes back to this thing where, as society, like, in general, doesn't trust women. So I got a pregnancy test, I went to his house, and I took another one in front of him, and I think all of the color just drained from his face, and he started (laughs) apologizing, and, you know, I just left. Yeah. But I I was five weeks along Mm -hmm. at that time, and I knew because I got really sick. Um, which during my pregnancy with my son, who is now two, Mm -hmm. I was sick the entire time. So now I just understand that is a surefire way to know, Jenna, that you are totally pregnant. But um, I had a surgical procedure, and it was really quick, and it was relatively painless. 
I mean, the majority of women I know have gone through some issue with reproductive health care. Um, that's why I'm so passionate about this, because it's not as simple as people want it to be. And that's the that's the truth, is that abortion is health care. And the health care landscape in Alabama is disgusting. Women are dying here more often than almost anywhere else in the country from childbirth. Women are dying from cervical cancer, which is 100% preventable Preventable. Mm -hmm. here more often than anywhere else in the nation. And instead of focusing on those things that are actually going to help women, our legislators focus on restricting health care. How wrong are their priorities right now? I mean, I think in the last eight years, 13 hospitals have closed in the state and seven of them are in rural areas. I'm just so happy you're here. Thank you so much for donating your story to the cause and being so confident in you know your mission and what you're trying to accomplish. And there are a lot of young women um, who will be coming up into an age where they will have to make decisions in their life. And I think because you're out there sort of blazing a trail in Alabama, they will be happier human beings because of it. Yeah, I hope so. And one thing that I, I just want to say is that if I have a daughter one day and she finds herself pregnant, whether it's voluntary or through rape, the one person that I'm not going to send her to for counseling is Terry Collins right. or anyone in the <laughs> Alabama legislature. Yeah. Because that is not their place. It is not their place to counsel women on what's best for their lives and their bodies. Just stay out of it. But let's also remember that not every woman is privileged. Not every woman is white. Not every woman has access to health care or can afford it. And not every woman has a supportive partner. So that's something that's really important to remember as we discuss this, because it's easy for legislators to talk about it's not just about the woman, you know, what about the life within? And she could carry it to term and give it up for adoption, right? But not everyone is privileged. It's difficult for women to have access to this and for men to stand up and speak out against it when they're not, they're not educated on it and they haven't had a direct experience with it, I think at times it can be dangerous. The legislators who, who argue that women should carry a pregnancy to term if there is an unwanted pregnancy and give that baby up for adoption, that argument might sustain itself if these same legislators would expand Medicaid in Alabama, if these same legislators would help keep hospitals open, if these same legislators would help with the prenatal care that women are desperate for in the state of Alabama, if these same legislators would recognize that over 15% of the children in the state of Alabama are living at levels of poverty that rival third world countries and yet do nothing, then we can have that argument. Absolutely. And something they need to consider is that if you were going to draw the line to who can and cannot have an abortion, they have to consider who they're leaving out. Because once you draw that line, it's really difficult to erase it. And once an abortion clinic closes, you know, Texas is a great example of it's probably not going to reopen. And this, these are things that they need to consider because they could be leaving their they could be leaving out their wife, they could be leaving out their grandmother, their mother, their daughter, their neighbor, and that's something that is really difficult for people to understand until they are in that position. So I would just caution them to say, you know, maybe don't be so restrictive. It is possible to oppose abortion without restricting it so severely. 
holy moly, an episode I really didn't even want to do to begin with. <laughs> and now I feel like we have too much to talk about and too many good things to say. What do you say we just like go ahead and do two episodes? Is that okay? Yeah, let's do two episodes. And really, you didn't want to do this? This is such an important topic. I, it is. It is. You know, I don't like uh, confrontation. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, we need to just erase the confrontation here. This is... Listen, if, if healthcare for women is a uh, divisive conversation, uh, we've, we've obviously structured it in the wrong... <laughs> You're exactly right. In the wrong way. All right, coming up on episode two, State Representative Neil Rafferty and more. And more. And more.